Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Brad Gilmore. I talked to him back in March, right after the publication of his most recent book, which was titled Bond, James Bond, Exploring the Shaken and Stirred History of Ian Fleming's 007. And you can go back and listen to that on William Ramsey Investigates. But when I asked him on the show for that, he sent me an earlier book that he published back in early 2021. And that title of that book, which you can see here on YouTube, if you're on YouTube, is Back from the Future, A Celebration of the Greatest Time Travel Story Ever Told. And really a fascinating book. And you can see his enthusiasm for the subject of the movie Back to the Future. And uh, he also did a podcast. So he, he's has very, very extremely knowledgeable about this film. His podcast, Back to the Future, which I will put in the show notes uh, for the podcast as well, has 94 episodes right now. So he's done a lot of legwork, a lot of research into many aspects of this film, its legacy, its impact, all that stuff. But just to do a little bit of bio for Brad Gilmore, he is a writer, television host, and radio personality born and raised in Houston, Texas. He's lent his talents to several projects and organizations, including the CW Network, Movie Trivia, Schmodown, CBS Radio, and ESPN Radio. Since 2012, he has been the host of the Brad Gilmore Show, covering music, sports, and entertainment. And he is the host of, uh, the executive producer of what I mentioned earlier, Back to the Future, the podcast. He's the longest tenured announcer for WWE Hall of Famer Booker T's reality of wrestling promotion in Texas and co-chairs the popular radio show and podcast, The Hall of Fame with Booker T and Brad Gilmore. He's an alumnus of the University of Houston where he graduated summa cum laude with a degree, a degree in communication studies. He's a proud husband, son, brother, and uncle of seven and tries to make people smile, make his community stronger. So again, we're going to talk about this earlier book he published, Tyler of it again. Really a great book. Highly recommended. I learned a lot. Title of the book is Back from the Future, a celebration of the greatest time travel story ever told. So Brad Gilmore, welcome back to the show. Hey, William. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun the first time around. I said, hey, man, we should do round two. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for reaching out. I really appreciate it. I like it when my guests reach out to me and suggest stuff. So I'm really glad to have you back. For people who may not have heard our earlier show, can you do a little bit about your bio, maybe stuff that isn't in the bio that I read? And what led you into really your inquiry and the writing of the book uh, about the subject back to the future? Yeah, I mean, um, I and I may have said this in our last conversation, but I never had any uh, inclination or desire or want to write a book about anything, really. Um, it started with when I was very young. 
I saw on all things the Disney Channel this movie, Back to the Future. I'd never heard of it before, and I remember going the next day. It's vividly. I talked to this guy in my first grade class, Miss Gray, Avery Davis. I said, have you seen Back to the Future? And he had no idea what I was talking about. And it was this world that it opened up for me. And we were we were talking a little bit before we went live, uh, William, about um, some stuff in our families. And and you and I's fathers are of a similar age and generation. Now, I have brothers who are much my senior. Uh, my, my oldest brother, Rusty, we're 23 years apart. And um, he's uh, in his early 50s. And my brother, Scott, who was born in the 70s. And my sister in the 80s. And I was born in the 90s. So there's this real generational trend in my family. My father having kids in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And this Back to the Future film, as I got older, became a conduit for all of our conversations and our relationships. It was a way for all of us, including my mother and father, because uh, the movie's based largely in the 50s, the first film, to all relate on one's similar subject matter. So the movies became my absolute fascination. And in 2015, which was a significant year for the films, because this is the uh, year that they traveled to the future and back to the future, too. Uh, I was doing my Brad Gilmore show, and I said, man, it'd be great to do a retrospective about this movie that dominated my life because not only did it have a generational component to it, Michael J. Fox, the film star, famously uh, suffers from Parkinson's disease, and it's the same ailment that my grandmother succumbed to in 2016, and I saw her battle it for the better part of two decades. So the movie had a lot of personal connections to me, so I thought it'd be great to do a retrospective I started doing the retrospective and reaching out to people. And next thing I know, I had like seven or eight episodes. And I was like, I wonder if there's a, maybe I should do like a back to the future podcast. There's not one out there. So maybe I should just make it a separate feed. And that's where the podcast came from. And after doing it for several seasons, we do our show in seasons, not weekly. Uh, I did maybe four seasons or five seasons. And it got a, a nice amount of uh, recognition and popularity and I got to talk to many of the stars in the film, whether they be Crispin Glover, Leah Thompson, Christopher Lloyd, James Tolkien, the creator of Back to the Future, Bob Gale, all these incredible people, Jeffrey Wiseman, Don Fullerlove, Harry Waters Jr. These are all people from the films. And um, it, it was like, wow, I have all these great stories and I've gained all this knowledge about this movie franchise that I didn't expect. And then the publisher, Mango Publishing, uh, published a friend of mine, Ken Knapsack's book called Why We Love Star Wars. And he's actually on the cover of this book with a quote. And um, he and I talked and then Mango talked and they said, well, we'd love for you to do one on Back to the Future. And uh, that led me to talking to you today, William, all these years later. Uh, I started working on this book in 2019, uh, I think in July. So we're about three years, uh, three years after my first words typed on a page for this book. Well, you can see your knowledge of the film is all throughout the book. I mean, you talk a lot about the background of the, how the film got made. Maybe that's a good place to start. You also make a very bold statement saying that this is the greatest trilogy in the history of cinema. So yes. maybe you can I talk about that. how the movie started and why you why you believe that. The movie, and I love origin stories. I've always been the person who, if there's a movie I love or a TV show I love or a book I love, I try to figure out what was the moment of creation. Like where did the idea come from? Because everything that we look at, uh, whether it be a book, a film, or even a tool of some kind, it goes through four steps. It, it's you First, you have to dream it. Then you have to draw it. Then you have to build it. Then you have to test it, right? 
And for me, knowing where that dream at stage came from is always fascinating to me. And so when I looked into Back to the Future, Bob Gale uh, and Robert Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis was the director and co-writer, and Bob Gale was his co-writer. They'd wrote uh, films together. They met in film school. And they had wrote stuff together even for the great Cole Shack, The Night Stalker, which was an early favorite of my father's and mine as well. Uh, they wrote episodes on that, and and uh, they worked a lot with Steven Spielberg. And they had always wanted to do a time travel movie of some kind, and they just didn't know how to get into it. And one day, Bob Gale was visiting his parents and was going through their basement and um, looking through it and found his father's old yearbook. He starts thumbing through it because he and his dad went to the same high school. Uh, same as me and my mother. We both went to Marabou B. Lamar High School, right, in Houston, Texas. So he's looking through it, and he finds out his dad is the president of his graduating class. And Bob Gale had no idea about this. He had never heard that before. They never talked about it at a family dinner table or a function of any kind. And he's like, wow, that's crazy. I didn't know that about my dad. And then he started thinking about the president of his graduating class and how much of a, for lack of a better term, a-hole he was. And he was like, I never want anything to do with that guy. And that is where we got to the dream at stage. He said, I wonder if my dad and I went to high school together, if we would have been friends. And that was where the moment came from. And then he went back and he told Robert Zemeckis the story and they figured out how they were going to tell this time travel tale. They were going to have a kid go back in time and go to school with his parents and find out they weren't anything like he thought that they were. And that was kind of the beginning of it. And um, it went through several drafts they started writing it in 1981 when it was professor brown and there was a pet monkey named chimp instead of the dog that we know of einstein and it was the springtime in paris dance and the movie ends with a uh, at a nuclear test site where they blow up a refrigerator so marty can go back in time right to our back to the future rather so it went through several different iterations and um they shopped it around everywhere and couldn't get anyone to pick it up uh, and everyone told him, you know, you know who would love this movie? Disney. Disney would love this movie. And they took it to Disney and Disney almost laughed them out of the room. They said, are you kidding me? A movie where the son and mother have like a somewhat of an ancestral re relationship? Absolutely not. So they couldn't get the thing made. And uh, finally, Robert Zemeckis said, look, Bob, I, I can't just go around town and try to get this movie made all week. I got to work. And um, Bob understood. and. Robert Zemeckis said, the next script that comes by, it's halfway decent. I'm going to direct it because if we get a hit, well, then it changes around town. Time, you know, the talk around town changes. And that script was Romancing the Stone and uh, Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. And, of course, that movie was a big hit in the early 80s. Yeah, very Indiana Jones-esque, if you will, the, the kind of pulp thriller through the jungle. And it was a big hit, and then kind of the floodgates opened. So they went back to the one guy who had always stuck by them, and that's Steven Spielberg. And it was the first movie at Amblin Productions not helmed by uh, Steven Spielberg wow, to be produced. And they were friends before. They had these two guys, Zemeckis and Gil, were from the Midwest, right? And mm -hmm. I think you see that sensibility through this film. It's much more optimistic maybe than some other films. But they uh, wrote 1941 together for yes. Spielberg, right? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So they, yeah, they have wrote, this relationship. And they wrote, I want to hold your hand. And and um, there was a couple Spielberg movies that they did that they weren't successful. Like, and I think that's a great thing about Steven Spielberg is we all, of course, we look at him as, you know, for lack of a better term, the GOAT when it comes to directing. One of the greatest to ever do it. And he gave us all these huge hits. But after Jaws and, and, and Close Encounters, you know, he didn't have a, a string of just great films, uh, critically or commercially for that matter. Uh, people were kind of saying, oh, maybe he just, you know, was a one and done or maybe a two two film kind of guy. Because I want to hold your hand or 1941 or any of these kind of movies. They, they they weren't huge hits. 1941 wasn't huge, but it's actually super fun to watch, I think. Right? Uh, well, you know, look, you're talking to a guy who loves the sequel to Fletch. Um, uh, I, uh, I like movies that might have questionable quality at times, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so they, they, they went back to him though, because they said, look, this guy had done so great for us. And, uh, with 1941 and of course Zemeckis said, I want to hold your hand and, but they didn't, they didn't do well. So they said, let's go back to him though. Let's go back to Steven Spielberg and let's make this movie back to the future. And, uh, Universal Studios greenlit it. With the uh, with a very strict timeline, like if you can't make this movie in this amount of time, we're going to cancel the project, and that's where they started in their uh, production of the film. And there were some, I mean, there were some questions about who was going to be the central character. Mm -hmm. There's this character. I mean, the story of Scheinberg. Some of the changes he made were good, I think, but he also there's a very interesting. Exchange between Scheinberg and St and Spielberg. Can you talk about that? Yeah, of course. So um, Sid Scheinberg was head of studio, and he had notes. He said, I think the main character's name should be Lorraine Baines. And uh, my mother's name, I think his mother, his wife, his wife's name was Lorraine. And I think that we should make him uh, Dr. Brown instead of Professor Brown, and we can make him like a doc, could be what you call him. Let's change it from springtime in Paris to the enchantment under the sea. Uh, let's let's give him a uh, Einstein instead of the pet monkey. So, I mean, he had great suggestions. Um, but the one that he said is the only thing that I really don't like about the movie is I don't like the title. Back to the future. It doesn't make any sense. How can you go back to the future? It just didn't make logical sense for him. So uh, he said, I think the perfect name of this movie, the perfect name that will get everybody out to the theaters is Spaceman from Pluto. And people listening or watching might say, why would that be the perfect name for the movie? Well, the comic book that uh, one of the the young man is holding when uh, Marty crashes through old man Peabody's barn, he's holding a comic book that says Space Zombies from Pluto. And so Sid Sheinberg had it in his head that Spaceman from Pluto, that's the title. That's the title. And the producers and, and Steven alike really didn't know how to say – your idea is kind of stupid <laughs> to, to the guys writing the checks, right? So uh, Steven Spielberg wrote him a letter that I actually put in the book, and he just talked about, hey, we got such a big laugh out of your note this morning. It all just made our day. It really set us on the right mood. And he said, I sent it to him, and we never heard again about the title. That was the, that was the beginning and end of Spaceman from Pluto.
and it became a, an element of kind of cinema lore, right? Is like probably one of the worst title offerings ever. Wasn't it in some other movie you mentioned? Yeah, the, um, no. it was the uh, house with the clock and its walls is the name of the movie. If I remember right, it was a Jack Black movie it came a few years ago. And there's a scene where this kid's arriving by bus and on the marquee of the movie theater in which the bus parks in front of, it says now playing Spaceman from Pluto. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of this legendary because Back to the Future is a phenomenal title. And it's now we look at it as one of the great not only movies of all time, one of the great titles of all time. Everyone knows Back to the Future. And it kind of does sum up the movie in the title. So why you would call a time travel movie about a kid going to meet his parents, Spaceman from Pluto. Um, I don't know where I don't know really where he's going with that one. Yeah, he probably just realized, okay, you're right. This isn't that great of a name change. But there were problems with the production, right? There was a schedule. They did a good job with the music, but there kind of was an infamous, another piece of kind of cinema lore was switching somebody out during the filming, right? So for those of you maybe not uh, that well-versed in filmmaking, you know, I mean, a movie back in the 1980s, you're going to spend, you know, maybe three months, probably good three months shooting. Um, things weren't really done with CGI back then and, you know, a lot of practical effects. So as, to, as far as your shooting schedule, it's probably going to be three, four months, right? And um, they had this green light to make the movie that they had to do in a certain amount of time. So their first choice for the, for the main character, Marty McFly, was Michael J. Fox. They thought, man, he's on Family Ties. He's perfect. He's got this comedic sensibility. He's a little bit of a teen heartthrob. Guys will think he's cool. Girls will think he's cute. He can play this really well. But he wasn't available because of Family Ties. And the producer of Family Ties and creator Gary Goldberg said, absolutely not. Michael's not available. So they had to move to their next choice. They, they, and they auditioned several individuals. Uh, ben Stiller was auditioned. You can actually see his audition on YouTube. It's up there now. You can watch him audition for the part of Marty McFly. Several big-name actors. Robert Downey Jr. came in. I mean, uh, Charlie Sheen read for Marty McFly. There were all these different people who came in. And then they went with Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz had done a movie called Mask. It was uh, really it was widely re critically regarded as a very great performance, a dramatic performance. But they thought he's got this good look. We think he can pull it off. And look, they weren't sold all the way on him, but they thought, I can make this work. And I don't know how much of that is the um, overconfidence of a young filmmaker. You know, I think, William, you know, such as I, like, especially when you're in your probably mid-20s, you think, I can make anything work. I can do anything, okay? No is not in my vocabulary. So they used Eric Stoltz, and they start filming with him, and they get about six weeks, if not longer, into production to where more than half of the movie has been filmed. It got to the point to where Tom Wilson, who stars as Biff Tannen, said, we got to the point where we're starting to ask everyone, what's, what's your next project? We're wrapping this thing up. What are y'all going to do next? That was at the stage it was. And then they, um, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale and Steven Spielberg strung together some dailies uh, from the film. And they said and they watched them. And Bob just didn't feel right about it. Bob uh, Zemeckis, that is. And Steven Spielberg looked at him and said, yeah, I don't think you're getting the laughs that you want. There's laughs on the page, but we're not getting them on the film. Eric Stoltz played it like it was a real thing. And by accounts of people who were on the film, he was a method actor. So you called him Marty. Uh, he didn't respond to Eric. 
He gave the cold shoulder to Tom Wilson. He was real cozy with Leah Thompson as their characters. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And um, he was playing it like I actually am stuck in the past, which any of us would be supremely frightened about if we were stuck in a generation that's not ours and we don't know how we're going to get back. But this movie was meant to be a, a, an action comedy in a lot of ways. So they said, well, you're not getting the laughs. So they made the decision six weeks into production with more than half the film shot to replace the lead actor. It's not like they're replacing Goldie Wilson, who just says, mayor, I'm going to run for mayor, right? They were replacing the lead actor in the film. And uh, they called everyone to the set late one night, and they made the announcement that we've fired, for lack of a better term, Eric Stoltz. And they went back to Gary Goldberg and said, we need Michael J. Fox. He's perfect for this role. And Gary said, look, I will give him the script if he likes the script and understands that family ties will always come first. You have to shoot this around our schedule. If you all are okay with that, I'll let him do it. So they said, all right. And Gary Goldberg gave Michael J. Fox a manila envelope with the script in it. And he said, hey, Steven Spielberg and Bob Zemeckis are doing this movie called Back to the Future. They want you to star in it. I want you to take this home and read it. If you want to do it, you can do it. But you have to shoot around the family ties schedule. Michael J. Fox picked up the manila envelope, threw it back down on Gary Goldberg's desk and said, it's the best script I ever read. (laughs) So without reading a word from it, he agreed to the project, and then they ended up reshooting all that they could and put together Back to the Future. And it was released July 1985, right? So that July was the the 3rd. Mm-hmm. July 3rd, and it was the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest movie of the year, right? That's what It was the about. biggest movie of the year. Number one at the box office, the top grosser, uh, fan favorite, number one for several weeks on end uh, worldwide. It was just a massive hit. And I think it just, it, it, Back to the Future hits in every way that you want it to. It's got great gadgets. It's got great characters. It's got great story. There's no plot holes. It's no like, well, I don't understand why this happened or why that happened. Every line of dialogue that is written or every line of dialogue that is said has a payoff to it. I mean, we're talking about from Old Man Peabody wanted to breed, breed pine trees. And the mall is called Twin Pines Mall in his honor. And then Marty runs over a pine tree when he goes back to 1955. He comes back to 1985. It's called Lone Pine Mall. So everything in the film uh, leaves you satisfied. And that's what I felt when I saw it in the year 2000. That's what audience felt like in 1985. Just a complete fun ride. And it was the biggest hit of the movie. And the movie ends with a cliffhanger, right? Of Marty, something's got to be done about your kids. Uh, we got to go to the future. And then that's where they hit the line roads. We don't need roads, which President Reagan even made mention of in his State of the Union address. But that was not meant to set up a sequel. That was just meant to be a joke to end the movie on. And then obviously we got two more Back to the Future films. Right. And you mentioned in your book, this was kind of the era be- 
prior to film franchises. So they it was interesting because a lot of things changed between uh, as far as people in the film and their approach changed from the first to the second and third, right? Yeah, absolutely. This was not where you go into a movie like the Marvel Cinematic Universe where you know we're going to make four or five Thor movies or we're going to make however many Iron Mans or Captain Americas. They didn't sign all these actors to long-term contracts. They didn't even know if this movie would be well-received. When it became the biggest hit, like studios do, they say, we want another one. And so Bob and Bob went together and they said, okay, we'll do another one so long as uh, Michael J. Fox agrees and Christopher Lloyd agrees. Those were their main two they wanted. They wanted to get as many people back as they could. But as long as we have those two, we can make a story happen. And so they started going back to everyone. And of course, everyone says, yes, yes, yes. You know, Tom Wilson says, yes. Leah Thompson says, yes. And then um, Crispin Glover was a different story. And I even make mention of it in the book. I, I didn't, I don't want to get into too much of the gossip of it. Cause there is a little bit of a, he said, he said with why Crispin wasn't returning. Um, Bob Gale says he made outrageous demands as far as salary goes. Uh, Crispin Glover said he didn't like, how the first movie ended and how it was more of a commercial ending and uh, saying that money equates success. So he wasn't interested in pursuing that again. No one really knows. I mean, it happened 37 years ago. <laughs> like who knows? Right. Um, but yeah, they had to uh, end up recasting him with Jeffrey Wiseman uh, in that movie, but they wrote a script and they called the script paradox. And when they took it to the studio, the studio said, this is way too long for one movie. What if we split it into two? And then they shot Back to the Future 2 and 3 simultaneously, uh, which had been done before to varying degrees of success. They shot, of course, Superman 1 and 2 together, uh, but Donner was fired midway through the Superman 2, and there was that whole drama. But this was the first time that they'd really set up a franchise, and, uh, and it was, both movies were equally successful. Right. And it just, I mean, this, this is one of those movies people watch over and over and over again. And it created this fan base, right? I mean, including your podcast, people you've talked to, but you go in one of your chapters about they had the whole, what is it, Future Day in Virginia. Can you talk about that and what that's like? Future Day was a wild celebration for all of us in Back to the Future world. I mean, October 21st, 2015 is, of course, the day that they travel back or they travel forward in time for the first time in the franchise. And we got to see what we thought maybe 2015 would look like. So we all loved a lot of the celebrations that happened, whether that be USA Today publishing the actual mag uh, newspaper from the movie as the front cover. You could go into any newspaper stand, and it was the USA Today from Back to the Future. There were ce celebrations where people recreated all of Hill Valley, the fictionalized uh, town in, in California from the films. Uh, both Marty and Doc in character appeared on the Jimmy Kimmel show and made fun of 2015 reality versus what was in their movies. It was, it was a joyous day. It was a lot of fun to see all. And what's great is when you're a fan of something, you talk about it all the time, but it's great when something like that happens and everybody is talking about it. 2015. And especially that day was so much fun. Right. It was amazing. So 30 years and it was in, they changed the name of Reston, Virginia to future uh, Hill Valley. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that set is actually part 
of the Universal tour, right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, they shot the movie on the Universal backlot. That's where the movie was shot. Um, the sets were built there. And um, the clock tower is in the heart of the of the back lot in the Universal Studios tour. So now people actually from all over the world travel to see the Back to the Future clock tower. And many people, it's become a very popular destination for people to uh, propose to one another and oh, uh, for a big engagements or big moments and celebration. Uh, people want to do it where, where Marty and Doc were able to harness the lightning bolt and, uh, and send the DeLorean back to the future. <clears throat> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And it's become, there's a lot of things in this film that, I mean, you go into a chapter two about the technology and even the DeLorean, they've just become symbolic. I mean, of this, of this film, right? Uh, you know, John DeLorean actually wrote Bob and Bob a letter saying, thank you for keeping my dream alive. Because, you know, if you know anything about the, the DeLorean motor company from the eighties, uh, you know, they had the, the DMC and then, uh, there was the whole drug thing with uh, John DeLorean, and then they went bankrupt. And the uh, DeLorean, though, was, wasn't even the original time machine. I made allusion to it earlier in our conversation. It was supposed to be a refrigerator. Um, the time machine was supposed to be a refrigerator. The only actual reason, they changed it for two reasons. One, the in sequence was going to be too expensive to film where you blow up a refrigerator in a nuclear test site. And two, they were actually worried about kids locking themselves in refrigerators thinking that they're time machines. There was a lot of worry about that. Um, not as much attention put to kids holding onto the back of Jeeps while skateboarding, but the, uh, the refrigerator thing was an issue. So they, uh, they, made, they made the change to the DeLorean, and at, at one point Ford came to him and said, um, would you make it a Mustang? Oh, interesting. And uh, Bob Gale famously said, Doc Brown doesn't drive an effing Mustang. And uh, oh. and uh, there was a lot of pr product placement, though, too, because the filmmakers thought and this was one of the first big films that had that much product placement, um, where, where, whether it's Pepsi or Texaco or things of that nature. And they did so because the filmmakers and the production crew thought, what better way to show a passage of time than through logos that everyone's familiar with? I know what Coca-Cola looks like now. Oh, look, they must be in the past because the logo looks a little bit different. It looks older. You know, the bottle shape different or Pepsi or whatever. And um, so, yeah, there was some product placement through that. But the DeLorean has become synonymous with, with Back to the Future, more so than a car that people drive. People want a DeLorean because they want a time machine. And uh, where I am in Houston, there's a neighboring city called Humble, Texas. And that's actually where the DeLorean Motor Company headquarters is. It's a still going. They do mainly repairs, but later this year they're going to unveil their new all electric DeLorean that they plan to bring to market. So, wow, yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, and that's the the, the advent of this with these doors that Tesla copied, right? The yeah, the gold wing doors. Gold wing. Um, so there's a lot in there, and they put in a lot of Easter eggs and, like you said, uh, logos, 
a lot of different things are in that film, right? You know, it's crazy, William. Even after I published the book, I had the uh, second movie on it one, uh, you know, a couple months later. And I'm watching it and I was like, oh, wow, I never realized the logo because in the in, in the uh, part two, the uh, courthouse, which is the, the city hall where the clock tower is, has been changed to a shopping mall. Uh, and I never put together that the logo of the shopping mall was a clock with a lightning bolt hitting it. It just, I mean, I watched this movie maybe a hundred times and that's not an exaggeration and never picked up on that. And that really adds to the rewatch rewatchability of the films. Is it somebody like me who's gone literally with the microscope and looked at every frame? Uh, still, I can find things in there that I didn't see before. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <clears throat> And then you also kind of give credit to the villain. You actually say some very bold statements in this book. Not only the best trilogy, you're up against Godfather, so you could get in real trouble in certain circles. I, but I respect your uh, you know, boldness in making that statement. But you also say that Biff is really one of the great villains. I think he is. I think Biff Tannen, as portrayed by Tom Wilson, uh, is the greatest villain because a villain in my opinion, should have no redeeming qualities. Like if you are truly the the heel, as we say in wrestling, but if you're the bad guy in the movie, there should be nothing about you that I say, man, he's so cool. Oh man, I, you know, I know he's a bad guy, but look what he did this. That was a pretty cool moment, right? And I feel like with a lot of villains, there's the cool moment. I mean, in, in the Dark Knight film with Heath Ledger as the Joker, there's as many notable lines from the Joker as there is from Batman. You almost think the Joker is a little bit cooler than Batman at certain instances. Darth Vader might be the coolest villain ever. I mean, the way that he looks, the the way that he moves, the lightsaber, the and, and we know his origin, and he wasn't always a bad guy. As far as we know with Biff Tannen, he is a POS. That's all that it comes down to. He hates everybody. He bullies everybody. He tries to take advantage of everybody. There's no redeeming qualities about him at all. There's nothing that you can say about Biff Tannen that you like. And that's the reason why, more than any other villain in film history, like where you can think of a popular villain, he is not cool. He has no redeeming qualities. No one says, I want to be Biff Tannen for Halloween. And it's interesting, too, because you say there's different variants of Biff Tannen seated throughout all three films. But the guy in real life was like a comedian. He's a funny guy. He's just really good at his job. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So uh, Tom Wilson was a, a was a stand-up comic, and he is today. I mean, he still does stand-up comedy. He's actually a tremendous artist as well. Uh, I, I can't remember the count because it's been some time, but I think there's eight or nine different variations of the same character of Biff Tannen. Uh, and that includes Griff Tannen, his great-grandson, and, of course, uh, his great-great-grandfather, Buford Mad Dog Tannen in the third film. So his performance is masterful. And more than any other character in the film, or actor, I should say, in the series, I think that he gives the greatest performance of them all just to have those differences. Because even if you look at the first movie, when we first introduced to Biff, he's in his mid-40s, he's George's boss, he's a jerk, okay? We go back to Biff Tannen in the 1950s as a teenager. Completely different. I mean, not completely different, but a different age that he's playing to where he's still believable. Then he Marty comes back from the past, and Biff is now the subservient Biff to 
Oh, anything you need, Mr. McFly, I'm putting on the second coat of wax now, right? Right there, there's three variants of the character. We get to the old, uh, to the next film. There's old man Biff. There's uh, Griff, his uh, his his uh, great grandson. And then it, we're already up to five, and we're not through the film because then you go to the Biff horrific period, where you go to the alternate 1985, and he's playing. And this is Bob Gale's words. Bob Gale based that character, that version of Biff, on uh, Donald Trump uh, from the 1980s. Yeah. The, the way that he looked, being a uh, owns casinos and hotels and things of that nature. He based him on uh, a Donald Trump. So you have the Trump version kind of, and then you come back. So there's just so many variations of him. And for him to make them all unique and all distinct, I think is a testament to his ability as an actor. Right. I mean, a lot of range, right? I mean, I guess a lot that's of one of the challenge. And you, through your podcast, you had the opportunity to really talk to some, a lot of these Leah Thompson and really players who were in this whole saga. Really. Can you talk about what that was like? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've gotten to talk to Leah Thompson, uh, who played Lorraine Baines or Lorraine McFly, Crispin Glover, who played George McFly, uh, which was a treat. And on two separate occasions, talked to Christopher Lloyd, who plays Doc Brown. And Christopher Lloyd is a longtime favorite actor of me, whether that's Jim Ignatowski, whether that's uh, Professor Plum. He's the only man to play a doctor and professor, both in the year 1985 that I know of. Uh, he played Professor Plum in Clue the movie. He was Uncle Fester. There was a big movie when I was younger called The Page Master with Macaulay Culkin. So I've always enjoyed Christopher Lloyd. So having the opportunity to talk to him on two separate occasions uh, was a thrill for me. And just and Bob Gale himself, asking Bob Gale, the guy who created this and continues the franchise. You know, Robert Zemeckis has gone on to do other movies, massive movies, Cast Away, uh, Forrest Gump, to name a few, right? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But Bob Gale has largely focused his career on continuing the legacy of what he considers his greatest work, which is Back to the Future. And so even getting to ask him just things I've always wondered about the film and uh, debates that I've had with my fellow friends who talk about Back to the Future, it's just, it's awesome to talk to people who are involved in something and involved in creating something that you love so much. Right, it's still a valuable kind of trilogy even to this day, right? I mean, there's still generations, uh, uh, spinoffs, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's the, the ride, there's the cartoon or whatever the animation. Yeah, there's a cartoon. There's there's a, the game. There's the comic book series that runs today. Um, there's the the musical that is out now that's about to come to the United States next year um, in the UK. So What's the name of it? It's Back to the Future the Musical. Back to the Future. There it is. Huh? Um, and they're uh, they're going on now. I think a year and a half they've been doing that show or more. Two years. You know, there's pandemic. You know, cuts time out, but nevertheless. Um, but yeah, I mean, so to just to talk to these people, it was similar with the last book with Bond, James Bond, when you get to sit and talk to George Lazenby for an hour, you know, and and, and be able to be like, wow, this is one of the guys. Um, so, yeah, it's always awesome to talk to people who are involved in that creation. Right. What happened to Elizabeth Shue? Fire Pixie asked she was in the first one or was she in the second? one? She was in the second, too. Yeah, second she was in two and three. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's another interesting story. So the original Jennifer Parker that we got on screen is uh, played by Claudia Wells. And Claudia Wells was set to return for the second film, but unfortunately her mother fell ill and she chose to be with her mom instead of doing the, the next movies, which I think is completely commendable and respectable. And so they uh, replaced uh, Claudia Wells with Elizabeth Shue. With Elizabeth Shue. And um, Elizabeth Shue just coming off the Karate Kid, so obviously a well-known uh, in Adventures in Baby City. Um, so well-known face, but it had a very small role. If you actually go back and look at it, most of the second film and the third film, she's like passed out in an alley or on a bench. Uh, not a lot of dialogue for her, but she took the role and people remember her for it. She's in a great series. I mean, that's a great opportunity, I would think. And there's a lot of really interesting character actors seated and, and vignettes seated throughout those three films, too. Like, you actually have a full chapter on some of these characters, right? Otis oh, yes. Peabody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otis Peabody, who is the, the uh, proprietor of the Twin Pines Ranch, whether that be Mayor Goldie Wilson, who is always a fan favorite, uh, Marvin Barry, who was the band leader for Marvin Barry and the Starlighters, the cousin of Chuck Barry, according to Back to the Future lore. Um, uh, of course, Vice Principal Strickland, played by James Tolkien, who was also in Top Gun in 1985. Uh, I had, had the privilege of talking to him on the podcast. So many great, great ones. And um, a lot of people, if you're a fan of the films, you know, uh, we, a lot of people call him Wallet Guy. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of just great, side characters that I always love asking people like, who's your favorite side character in back to the future and um, character actors are plenty. And just really also they nailed the casting and uh, on every other role. And so it's kind of surprising. They dropped the ball on Marty a little bit, but every other role they, they, they nailed it. I mean, they, they had auditioned Jeff Goldblum and Eddie Murphy famously for doc Brown. Uh, mm -hmm. But Christopher Lloyd was the only pick, the only pick, you know, you kind of may take it like a, at least as a, like a, an, a topical view, you take it for granted, but those guys really were great. Christopher Lloyd's amazing. And he's so really, good. yeah, really good. He's so good in everything that he's in. And he kind of plays a similar uh, level. I mean, he's, he played doc Brown and this were, these were his words is constantly in crisis. And that is how you feel like doc Brown is. He's constantly great. Scott, you know, something's going on the space time continuum, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Right. And uh, he just had a great take on the character, being the mad scientist, but not too cliche, but enough of what we wanted, you know? Right. And a lot of those words have now entered into the common parlance, right? Space time, all these things from the movie, like people use them. Flux capacitor. You know, Flux capacitor. 1.21 right. gigawatts, you know? Right. Uh, 88 miles per hour, right? Don't they have to hit a certain yeah. speed? 88 miles per hour, where we're going, we don't need roads, heavy, great Scott. Um so many there's so many quotables that people use all the time brad we are at 40 minutes is there anything you'd like to add or anything i missed before we wrap this up there's a lot more in this book a lot of details you've included some of the conversations you've had on your podcast in here so you can read along kind of with some of the interviews you've done i mean what else would you like to add yeah no i mean i really appreciate the time as always uh the paperback edition is the expanded one that has the interviews with cast and crew if you want to check that one out, um, I'll say listen to the podcast because the podcast, again, is the, an extension of the book and was the origin of the book. And we are now in season nine and I'm still finding people who are involved in the in the movies who uh, people who have a uh, I don't know, just 
want to talk like one of the things that I did is sometimes we'll take a uh, uh, a detour and there's a line in the movie where Marty is asking his future grandfather, uh, hey, do you know where Riverside Drive is? And he says, yeah, Riverside Drive, that's a block past Maple. And Marty goes, block past Maple? That's John F. Kennedy Drive. And his grandfather responds by saying, who the hell is John F. Kennedy? Right? Because this is 1955. They don't know in less than four years this man's going to be the president of the United States. Um, so with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On the podcast, we even had Dan Abrams on, who uh, wrote a book about Kennedy's Avenger and the whole case um, with... uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and the man who shot him, Jack Ruby. So sometimes we'll go off the beaten path and we'll talk about things that have a periphery uh, connection to Back to the Future. Didn't Abrams just publish that book? I thought I came across it. It was within the last it, couple maybe of like years. a year ago, yeah. maybe, or maybe maybe eight nine months ago, something around there. Fairly recently. Fairly recently, he's another guy who just cranks him out. But um, you know, so I have him on. I'll have my parents on to talk about what do they remember about the 1950s? What was it like growing up then? You know, what are similarities that you connected with in the movie? So if if you like Back to the Future and you want to go ahead and and, and learn more about it and just have fun on a weekly basis, definitely check out the podcast. Right, so there's a lot. So you're on season nine, Back season nine. to the Future, the podcast, right? That is correct. And like I said, we've already had a great season thus far and more more is coming down down the uh down the pipe right and you have this in audio book as well right so people can get the book and listen along to it as well right yeah a friend of mine joe hempel he actually did the reading of the book and uh, another uh houston texas resident he read our uh bond james bond book as well so uh, it's on audible you can order it on audio cd you can get this on paperback hardcover it's available in multiple formats so i just want to give a big shout out to mango publishing because this is the first uh, time I'd worked with them, they took a big, uh, big swing on me, if you will, and I got to write a book about the greatest film trilogy ever made. All right, I take there's no one can no one can debate it. And if they want to debate with you, how can they reach out to you? Email, website, social media. Yeah, you can reach me on all social media at Brad Gilmore. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find me there. You can check out the YouTube channel, the podcast. You can send me a, an email at bradgilmore at can'twaitforever.com or you can go to theboatbradgilmore.com. Gotcha. And again, the book that he just published in late 2021 or mid-2021 is Back from the Future, a celebration of the greatest time travel story ever told. Author's name again is Brad Gilmore. So Brad, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, William. Thank you so much. Right, take care. Stay there. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.